you wake up in the morning, and then what happens? <laughs> oh, put your headphones on, Peter. Uh, uh. Oh, yeah. Come on, put your arms around. <laughs> I want to hug you and hug you and hug you some more right through all these microphone cables. Go ahead. <laughs> I know I'm in the right time in the right space. Do you feel that? I'm Helga Davis. It had been a long day yesterday, and that made for an incredibly restless night. And when I got up this morning, I was in such a bad mood. So much so that I decided that when I left my building, I was not going to perform my morning ministry. So what's the morning ministry? The morning ministry means that... I get up, I get out of my apartment, I get out of my head and get into my body and find connection in the people around me immediately. Mostly what I do is between the two blocks of my apartment building and the subway, every person that I encounter, I look at them in the eye and I say good morning. That's it. That's the morning ministry. And I was so tired and not really in a good mood. And it's one of the few times that I actually decided I'm not doing this. And then the strange thing happened. There are people that I normally pass in the morning whom I look up and reach out and say good morning to. And I had my head down, but they in turn, walked a little bit closer to me and said, good morning. And I kind of giggled because I couldn't believe it was happening. I think about that and the tired voice and moving out into the world as I think about this conversation today with Julia Bullock. Julia Bullock is a soprano. She's a a woman I met actually here in the green space at WNYC, and I'd not heard her sing. And on the evening that we met, she wasn't feeling well either. And I couldn't imagine how scary that must have been because she had a really big performance in the next couple days at the Ojai Music Festival. She was performing a piece based on Josephine Baker, with a text by Claudia Rankin and music by the composer Taishan Sori. And then something else happened. She came to the stage and decided to speak the text that she was going to sing. And even in her reading of the text, I knew that I had to meet her. (laughs) A few days later, I did actually get to hear her sing Taishan's text. And when she walked out on stage, she was Josephine Baker. Josephine Baker was present in her body, in her voice, in her history, in her telling of these stories. And she wasn't in a banana skirt. She wasn't donning her marcelled hair. 
there was nothing of the costume of Josephine Baker that we're accustomed to seeing or that we've seen in other productions. Julia Bullock stood and uplifted and educated that audience that evening with just a light and a microphone. going to stop playing there because that's all I remember. <laughs> and if I keep trying to play that, I'm going to get frustrated and not talk to you because I won't be able to stop until I can remember the whole thing. <laughs> so I, what I love about that is that it's all white keys, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think when I was taking piano lessons, that was one of the things that that not because it was all white keys or anything, but I had seen the movie Fame like eight times. <laughs> and I would cry every time. And I was completely obsessed with that film. And I wanted so much to be in that school, to be in that environment, to be singing, to be, to be a musician. And... <laughs> My mother was just like, no. <laughs> and there, there wasn't any conversation about it. Why, why? Why was that? Because, one, I don't, I don't think that she thought I was good enough to do that. And whatever my gift might have been, it was still hidden from plain view. <laughs> and my mother was not going to take a chance or take mm. the chance with my life that I would go and follow some ridiculous idea that I was a musician or that I was a performer. Mm. She also told me, I'm not sending you to school to learn to sing and dance for white people, period. Well, like that was another yeah. part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And my mom's a nurse and she worked in an emergency room for 25 years. And that thing she understands, like do something that is helpful or that people need and stop with all the dreaming. Yeah, I guess it's just so funny because I feel... I guess as a performer now, and especially as like I'm in the process, you know, going through school, and now that I'm out, it's like there's this is very much a trade. Like it's not a, it's such a craft. And yeah, I'm, I I love what I do. I'm super passionate about it, but it's not really a. <laughs> I can't say it's always a fun time. You know, it's it is really hard work. What What are the things that feel important to you? right now to sing about? Well, I mean, now we're in this this post-election climate. And, you know, at that election night, I, would, I usually don't get emotionally involved in political things, but all of the implications of Donald Trump being elected just started, like, it's like they were just falling and falling and dripping off the ceiling. And, and for I, you, they are what? I think there are a lot of artists right now who are 
that have said, oh, I'm not sure if the arts serve a purpose mm. or what purpose they serve. And my reaction now, and it has, I felt this way for a while, but especially now, music encourages people to listen to each other, first and foremost. It encourages people to engage with one another in real time and respond. And there you can't anticipate what somebody is going to do or say um, or how it's going to impact you. You just have to be there and be present. That is, I feel, what we have kind of forgotten to do in this country. <laughs> We've stopped listening to each other, like really. And I want to provide voices for, for the stories that have maybe not had a chance to be told. And some of those aren't going to be joyous, <laughs> glitzy, comfortable kind of topics. And, you know, growing up in St. Louis, which was a place I didn't, I didn't necessarily f have a lot of fear growing up there, but I definitely felt the like segregation spirit. I mm -hmm. mean, that was so ingrained. And as a person who's of mixed heritage, you know, I had my mother, my mother, you know, she and I had kind of a complicated relationship. And then my father, who was... Which of your parents is African-American? My dad. Okay. My dad, yeah. And and growing up in a mixed household and then having my father die when I was young, right as I was, like, coming to terms with, you know, acknowledging, oh, right, and this is who I am and that's different than... <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and to have him just be gone... And then to, I really was like immersed in white culture. Um, but I was reminded every day that I was not a white person and not in a disparaging negative way. Right. I mean, it was very, it was like, oh, you are so, you're beautiful for a black, you know, for a black wow. person or you don't talk, you don't talk like other black people or you're very smart. Um, <laughs> and, or you represent yourself differently than other black people I know. I mean, it was, and these are like the messages getting ingrained in my, in my skull, like deep, deep. And so I had a lot of shame actually about being black. I didn't want to be defined as that. And um, even as it was like coming of age as a, as a woman, it's like the men that I dated, there was this sort of fetishizing of, of, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure what all their fantasies were, but I mean, one guy went. I, you know, we were just getting to know each other, and he said, you know, you would make the most amazing uh, house slave. And I just stared at him, and my mind is was racing. It was like, okay, do I? How, how do I? I'm not quite sure how to get him out of this house. Is this going to be a dangerous situation? But he said it in this way. It was like not only normal for him, but he was paying me a compliment. Right. And I, again, it was like, okay, but he's he's viewing that as a positive thing. Obviously, what a horrible thing to say. But it's like, all right, I, I actually don't need to own myself. Mm. And I shouldn't be owning myself. Mm. Like that. that's the message you take away, mm. you know, no matter how you cut it. So uh, telling s stories of women who are, you know, fighting for their every freedom they've got, all of their, you know, all these empowering stories. It's like that's really – and these are like necessary things, I guess, for me 
to kind of retrack and reprogram my own mind. That's part of why I think that's part of why I want to tell those stories. And I also really want to tell stories and sing music of black people, black performers. But here's my question, mm-hmm. Julia, and this is this is where I feel like I I run into something mm. where I run into myself in a peculiar way. So I had church music on Sunday. So I had gospel music on Sunday. And I had Mozart and Bach and Beethoven on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that all of that music is my music. Yeah. All of it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. How do we get to have all of our music and all of ourselves in a moment where we are being gunned down in the streets, where you're being told you'd be a beautiful house slave? Like, where, where's our freedom? Mm. Where's, where's the freedom for Julia and the freedom for Helga to just to be, to sing, to do whatever. Yeah. I mean, there are certain... Do you have to tell, like, why is it now your responsibility (laughs) to sing that music? Of course, I I hear you. Well, I guess it's, I don't think... Not your responsibility, but, but... Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, nobody, honestly, nobody has put in that charge on me. It's just something that I feel that I need to do because it's a part of myself. I, like, denied okay. for so long. It's, like, the, just that personal, I guess, for me. Okay. And, yeah, of course. It's like, okay, well, I, no, I don't. <laughs> if James Baldwin is saying mm-hmm. that there's nothing more important <laughs> than the human being, no mm-hmm. race, no mm-hmm. religion, mm-hmm. no, right? Right. Is more important than the human being. Mm-hmm. How do we get to the human being? And I'm clear that we're not there. We're right. not there. Right. At the same time, mm-hmm. we're not really having any conversation at all. Because what you're saying is that, that your personhood is dependent upon my not being a complete, full human being in your presence. Right. And, and there's something very, very wrong with that as well. Right. Help me. Help me. That's the help. <laughs> I'm trying to work it out. Yeah. I don't have I don't have an answer for that to be honest. I mean all that I I know how to program. Yeah. I know how to talk to people. I know how to contextualize the music that I'm singing and the words that I'm saying. That's what I have been trained to do. That's what I'm interested in. But the fact that I have either disassociated from my own history um, or wanted to marginalize parts of myself, it's like, and the fact that that is reflected also in our country, in our world right now. I mean, it always has been, I guess. But it gives me a very a clear, I, I guess it just, it's allowing, I, f- I feel like I'm allowed then to, I'm giving myself an allowance 
to just kind of say whatever whatever it is that I need to say. And that's that's it. It's kind of like, <laughs> it feels very direct. Yeah. Very direct. And not a burden in that way. Mm-hmm. I definitely had many years thinking about performing as a way to escape, right? It's like, oh, this is this is time away from... And, and I, I know a lot of people who still view the arts in that way, but I I just can't really divorce my personhood from what I'm doing, at least not anymore. It's just... Uh, but escape what? Um, I didn't have like a very safe home environment, so it just felt very like a sure, safe place to be, weirdly, like... <laughs> um, even though now it's like stepping out on stage sometimes is the most terrifying, terrifying thing in my life. So the roles have been <laughs> now reversed. Is it really for you, even oh, even yeah. for you? Oh my god! Oh yeah. I mean, I really I had a a very bad couple of years, like right at the end of my time at Juilliard, and I think part of it just was sort of losing perspective on my work. I was having a you know all of the roles that I was performing, um, all the women were in quote-unquote, victimized situations. Um, they were very depressed, and it's like constantly trying to shake that off. It's like it just I – I think that just started to impact me and also just the sort of false hype that surrounds young talent. It's like – which is um, exciting in its way, and Juilliard set up a one you know wonderful platforms for me, but – it aggravated my need to kind of hide and, mm. um, yeah, shield, just shield myself. So, uh, yeah, my my body actually just I, I started getting a like psychosomatic um, physical impairment really that prevented almost prevented me from speaking. Some days it was so so bad and. Um, you know, I worked very, I've been working very hard to keep pushing through that. And of course, like right when it was, when I was in the thick of it, I, I called and visited every coach and teacher and performer that I could get my, <laughs> my hands on. Right. I just said, I think maybe I'm just going to have to quit because I, I probably shouldn't be doing this if it's going to be, if my body is actually rejecting what I'm doing. And they said, well, no, I think it's the exact opposite. The, you are here reaching out for help, wanting reassurance that and one amazing teacher said, you know, the what I the Julia that I see on stage is the authentic person because she's super conscious, focused, intentional. And the you know, the one you walk around with in life, you know, it's like you're still coming to terms with just being yourself. And She's like so absolutely. Like I, she absolutely was <laughs> obviously trying to encourage me not to nope. <laughs> not to quit. But I, I really valued that statement because I just that hadn't uh, fully occurred occurred to me. Just not not consciously anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, you spoke a little bit earlier about a teacher that you had who said something to you that you that you needed to hear in mm. a particular moment. Mm. Say something a little bit about your teachers. I, I, I know everyone who t- teaches says, and the greatest teachers of my life are my students, but <laughs> there is something, there really is something to that statement. Um, and it's because, I guess what it taught 
me about my just about myself. Because it always teaches you something yep, about my God. yourself. <laughs> it's that if I am too fixated on myself or self-reflective, that is not a place that I can live in well. And so my purpose and it's like every everything when I'm my focus is on something just going out energy going out and then trying to just really comprehend the world that's around me the information that I'm being given processing all of that it's like I don't have to well what what ends up coming out is just this incre- I don't know just wonderful like exchange of energy and information yeah I mean I don't know I'm even just from my colleagues I've learned so much I yeah, there's a lot. There are a lot. There are a lot of wonderful teachers out yeah, there. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Do you still take lessons now? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much every singer will have somebody or a few people around them that who they trust really well, and who know their voices really well, who will help to kind of keep them just functioning at high efficiency. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't trust my own ear or sensations but even now like I still feel I feel like there's a lot of elements to my voice that have not quite I'm not settled with yet and I still do some manipulating of my you know of my sound and actually a teacher that I recently saw within five minutes she said do you know that you're strangling yourself oh wow and it's like just psychologically also it's like oh my god I have been strangling myself. But what did that mean? What well, were you doing? I was just tensing tensing uh, neck muscles, you know. Uh-huh. But suppressing this, you know, you start suppressing your sound. Yeah. And you can do all sorts of and right. of course my mind's like, oh when did that start? And that was that's young. That's like that's old stuff and not feeling like I was able to speak out or share things. I mean that that's an old thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think I even, you know, just the act of singing for me and practicing it, there's some he- like healing that has taken place in me big time. Again, I'm really I'm grateful that I'm able to perform, but I think re- even if I wasn't performing, I would still be singing every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do. You sing every day? Yeah, yeah. Something, mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, I always have material to prepare, so right. I'm often working, singing maybe maybe an hour and a half or so. But even the days when I'm not just decide to take some time off, it's like I still find myself wanting to kind of hum a dum. <laughs> and <laughs> I just I really enjoy I just enjoy singing myself. I really do. <laughs> I genuinely do. Did you know that you could sing? Yeah. You I did. Knew, I knew that I I knew that I could perform. Hmm. Yeah, I always knew I wanted to express myself with my body which is which is different than knowing that you can sing you could sing I mean I loved to sing there we go but I always (laughs) Um, and when I was young though I knew it's like I had little breaks in my voice it's like I had my really strong chest voice and then I had this airy sound you know like like little kids have and I couldn't stand that Mm. I couldn't stand the fact that I didn't know how to get power up there. So really it's like I didn't really want to talk about my singing abilities or own that I was like a singer until I f- that stuff started to coordinate. <laughs> huh. Yeah. 
because it didn't, it just, it felt false. And even now it's like I still, there are parts of my voice or there are days or there are times my body feels clamped up and it's like, ugh, okay, getting back to those habits of not having an open open channel. Yeah, I, I do still kind of doubt. I guess I do kind of doubt. It's like, can you really, can you actually sing? <laughs> I mean, I I know that you are getting paid and hired, but can you actually sing? Um, yeah, that's definitely the back, that's in the back of my mind. Well, the thing that's so, that that's very interesting to me about what you're saying now is this thing of keeping an open channel mm. and that that's a thing that I think is important for all people to hear. It doesn't mm. matter what you're doing. You yeah. happen to sing, right. right? But to walk into your doubt, your anxiety, mm-hmm. your voice with this open channel yeah. in mind yeah. so that the voice that you have can come through. I'm wondering if there's a thing that you do every day in addition to whatever magic fairy dust there is. <laughs> what do you do? There is also work. Yes. Yes. That happens every day. Right. Right. So one of the best things that my uh, teacher from Juilliard and from Bard taught me is uh, start from zero every morning. Hmm. Don't wake up and say to yourself, all right, I had it so good yesterday. Don't, don't think about the past. Don't think about where you're wanting to go later. Just start from zero every day and deal with the body that you've got. And that might be like the best lesson mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've ever been taught Which by is, anyone. Yeah. So I, that's, that's a big one. It's right a huge there. one. It's a huge one. I've been a student of Alexander Technique for many years. Um, so I often start on the floor, just breathing, letting myself, my body feel weight, um, and just, yeah, just re- actually releasing into... <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> just releasing into myself. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And start with non-vocal warm-ups. There's one of them is silent laws. It's just getting your lungs to work at full and natural function. And then I'll do like a kind of thing. Also, just to start feeling the, um, I hate the word support is something I'm not really using anymore. I get it's just, <laughs> again, just allowing allowing your breath to do what it does, yeah. flowing through your cords, and through through your through your mouth, and then like very simple exercises. There, I don't go like full throttle into mm-hmm. my singing. Mm-hmm. It's something that I kind of caress and work into. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I do. I it's it's interesting because I think too that even these non-vocal, like those, start to become words, right? Yeah, if you say absolutely. we're going to do these vocal exercises or we're going to do these warm-ups, mm-hmm. so they become words that are then in the way of the thing that we're actually trying to achieve, mm-hmm. which is feeling, breathing, and feeling, yeah. and knowing, right. Knowing oneself. Absolutely. Well, the one thing that's so beautiful about singing is that the diaphragm, that's a feeling (laughs) muscle, right? Right? And so breathing is massaging those emotions. So the act of singing 
when it's done really well, it's like you almost can't help but things just start flowing through. And it's not, you know, it's not, again, like not anticipating what the piece should be and when and how it needs to go. It's just letting the body, letting the voice guide you through, guide you through the material. Do you read your press, Julia? (laughs) Yeah. You do? I do. I've definitely... (laughs) I have a very complicated relationship with that. <laughs> um, I can't, I, it's like, I'm still kind of obsessed just to read and see how, if what I did came across. Mm. And there have been times in performances, I am in tears afterwards. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy just to like get myself out to greet the public because I just feel like I did not do my job. It's not even like, oh, I didn't, it just didn't go quite right. It's just like, I just didn't feel like I did my job. And or I was holding something back. And so I had, I have this energetic, emotional charge that has not been released. It's like, I have to be able to release it before I can get on and interact with people. But then I like, I, I look at the you know press the day later or a couple of days later and it's like, oh, it was like one of the most astounding things. Like, oh, I can't, my question is always like, I wonder what I'm missing, mm. but I also wonder what they missed. Mm. And then there's some, I've had experiences, many that are like that. And then I've had a few where I've given performances where I don't feel good. And it has been very obvious to a reviewer. And like that was so terrifying, the fact that it was realized because, well, <laughs> terrifying because like, oh my God, I'm not. I'm not getting away with any with this anymore. I can't feign anything anymore. So, um, yes, I read my press because I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, I'm not reliant on them anymore to mm-hmm. validate my work. Um, I do internalize it at least for a little while, mm-hmm. but. My boyfriend said to me, he's like, you're allowed, you know, if, whether it's a bad performance or something that's negative written, he's like, you have 24 hours <laughs> to feel bad about this. And then you are not allowed to, you have to move on. You just have to move on. And honestly, it's such a good rule because you can, you just get hung, you can really get hung up. And it, that's not only so, that is just the vainest thing in the world. I mean, that's, you know. Whatever. But the point is the performance is done. Just move on and get your get your game, your head focused for the next thing. So I read a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I usually don't like to read a bunch of stuff about a person that I'm going to speak with, yeah. mostly because I don't want to know what other people think. I don't want to be impressed at all yeah. by what anyone else has to say. I want to have the conversation that's in front of me sure, that, absolutely. that day, right? Absolutely. But I did notice that some people refer to you as the American soprano, and then some people called you the African-American, mm-hmm. the black. the. And I'm, I'm wondering if any of that matters to you or impacts you or if you have any feeling about any of that at all. Yeah, I have a complex complex feelings yeah. about it. Everything that has been said in terms of a descriptor, it's like, all right, they're just trying to find some way to identify me. And we love 
as human beings, we love categorizing people and placing them in, you know. And of course, they say those things, things, and I just need to interject this. They say those things at the same time they say that you're a singer who is not easy to categorize. (laughs) Right? So it's both things at the same time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Please continue. That's just... just, That's press comedy for, you know. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure why. It's like if if they publish a photo of my face, it's very clear that I am not a white American. Why does it need to be in print? I don't know. But, hey, whatever. It's just it's an obvious thing. If they feel a need to write that as a particular descriptive word. One thing that I've wondered is are they trying to – are they trying to get like the next great black Amer- American soprano? And am I up for that award? Position? Yeah. Ooh. It's like, I do not. <laughs> it's like, that's just, that is not why I went into music. That is not on my mind, really. That, but that's also, that's just part of the, like, that's just business. You know what I mean? That has nothing really to do with what I'm doing or why I'm doing this. I am so grateful for the women who came ahead of me. And man, it's it really it's like it's over it's really overwhelming thinking about their stories. Which women in particular come well, I was to just mind thinking of, when you uh, think Dorothy Maynard right now because mm-hmm. the fact that she studied all of these operas but never had a chance to perform one of them on stage. Like hundred she said she memorized hundreds. It's like <laughs> It's like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, there were just restrictions placed around her that aren't placed around me. I mean, I say that, but I also know that there are a, you know, there are certain companies who have called on me to sing certain roles that are just, I know, absolutely inappropriate, um, but is because of the way that I look, yeah. oddly. And then mm, I don't know if that, precludes them from thinking about me for other roles, but that's the first place right. that's tapped into. But I have a lot of different voices, you know. <laughs> I'm and, counting on it, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure which one is the primary, <laughs> the, uh-huh. you know, quite quite yeah. yet. I guess I'm still kind of sorting that out or toying around with what, coming to terms with what my truly unique voices because there's so many places you draw inspiration and so many people you want to try to sound like and it's like well and that other people want you to sound like in a particular piece for a particular mode I guess that's when you really start making people angry about your particular interpretation of a work because it's Mm -hmm. like I'm sorry you may really love that but I'm just not gonna (laughs) that's just not how it's going with me Mm I'm not quite ready to <laughs> make yeah. my well, and and the question is do you do you have to no, like, do I, you yeah, have I to be know. one voice No I, exactly right? exactly and I I don't I don't think so There've been many singers who said I've always just sing with my voice but I, again again it's just like well but god the human voice itself is capable of so many different kinds of sounds and they can all be produced if they're produced healthily, and even if they aren't, if it's for a very specific reason and you're not truly harming yourself, you know, 
permanently. I have the teachers that I have in place now are the ones who try to make sure that I'm doing what I do and what I want to do safely. That's mm-hmm. their job. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. Because um, I, I, otherwise I might, I really might throw myself in, out, just throw myself out. Because temperamentally, that's definitely my <laughs> inclination. Oh, yours too. I like that. Mine too. Yeah. Secret, secret Helga. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Thank you for... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Julia Bullock, a wonderful young soprano whose work I'm looking forward to following. Tell me this, too. What are the ways in which you connect with history and use what you do to connect to the world around you? And what are some of the ways in which some small action that you took came back to you when you needed it the most. You can always reach out to me at helga at wqxr.org or follow me on Facebook. This episode of Helga was produced by Julia Alsop and executive producer Alex Ambrose. It was mixed by Curtis McDonald with help from Hannes Brown and original music by Alex Overington. Special thanks to Cindy Kim, Lorraine Maddox, Michael Elsesser, Jacqueline Sincata, and John Chow.